0: Roger Staubach is uh, one of the most successful quarterbacks in NFL history. He won a couple of Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys in the 70s. Um, he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But There's an interesting story about Roger Staubach when he began to be the starting quarterback of the Cowboys. In the 70s, it was custom for uh, the quarterback to call the play. that The team was going to run in the huddle unlike today where you have uh, an offensive coordinator or or one of the coaches basically calling the play. But when he became the starting quarterback, his coach, Tom Landry, made it clear who would be calling the plays for the Cowboys. And it wasn't going to be the quarterback. It was going to be the head coach. And, you know, understandably, this bruised Roger Staubach's ego a little bit. He was reluctant to embrace this. But eventually he began to see the wisdom behind it. He began to see that his coach might have a better idea of what play to call than he would and so in time he came to accept this and embrace it and he later said that his problem was one of obedience that he had to learn to obey and when he did he found true success true freedom as a quarterback. Yeah I mentioned this story about Roger Staubach because our second reading from St. Paul's first letter, or St. Paul's letter to the Romans, speaks about the obedience of faith. And we'll talk about what that means. Uh, we don't see obedience explicitly in the first reading in the gospel, but I would venture to say that they, they, uh, it's, a, it's an underlying theme. Those two readings present two contrasting individuals. Two men Two very different circumstances, two very different problems. One of them lives according to the obedience of faith, and one of them doesn't. So let's look at these two men. The first is Ahaz. He was king of Judah, lived about a little over 700 years before Christ. And though our reading doesn't get into this, he is facing a serious problem. There are two rival nations the northern kingdom, and and Syria, that have joined forces. And their joint army is marching towards Judah, towards Jerusalem. And they want to not just conquer Judah, but they want to snuff out the, the Davidic line. Ahaz was of the house of David. And so the Lord sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz to tell him to not be afraid. That God has chosen Judah and the house of David in a very particular way to play a role in his plan for the redemption and salvation of mankind. And the plan of God cannot be thwarted by men. So Isaiah's message to Ahaz is trust in the Lord. Where our reading picks up is is Ahaz isn't really comforted by the prophet's words, and so Isaiah says, ask for a sign. Ask for a way for the Lord to prove his fidelity to you. And Ahaz won't even do this. He kind of feigns this false humility, says, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. And Isaiah basically says, spare me. I'm telling you a sign anyways. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And he will be called Emmanuel. Syria and the northern kingdom will not succeed. This line of David will continue until it bears its fruit, until the Son of God becomes man, Jesus Christ, until the Messiah who comes from this line to save us. But even this miraculous sign, this prophetic sign, it's not enough to sway Ahaz. Because what he does is he ignores Isaiah's pleas. He goes and forms an alliance with the Assyrian Empire, another nation. And they conquer the northern kingdom. They conquer Syria. Short term looks like it works out. But they make Judah essentially their vassal state. They weaken Judah considerably. It doesn't go well for Ahaz. And this is a pattern we see in Ahaz's life. He wants to do things his way and not the Lord's because he he seems to lack any real faith in God, that God might actually be at work, that he might act, that he has this plan that is unfolding and has been unfolding since the dawn of time and will continue to unfold until the completion of history. And so we see things do not go well for Ahaz. The second man 700-plus years from the time of Ahaz, is his descendant, Joseph. Joseph was of the house of of David. Joseph faces a problem. Uh, Not two invading armies, but he's betrothed to Mary, and she's found to be with child. She's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. We aren't told much about Joseph's initial response, other than he planned to divorce her quietly, so to not expose her to shame. That is, until the angel of the Lord intervenes and says, Don't be afraid. Take Mary into your home. This is a part of my plan. That prophecy that I gave to your ancestor seven centuries ago is about to be fulfilled, and I want you to play a crucial role in that, to be the foster father of, of Jesus. And Joseph, for his part, you know he may not get it it may not make complete sense to him but he trusts and and he lives this obedience of faith he does what the angel of the lord commanded him to do two very different men two very different problems one is a warning against uh, of what not to do the other an example of what we ought to strive to be like We have to strive to live this obedience of faith, which means that we believe what God has revealed to be true, that we trust him, that we know that he has a a plan that's unfolding, and that we have some part to play in that plan. And we seek to do his will. We seek to fulfill that role that he's given us. You know, often in our culture, we, we don't think very highly of obedience. You know, we think it's a restriction on our freedom. But think of it this way, think of a piano player. Who is more free to play the piano? The person who has taken lessons and obeyed a teacher and and practiced and and mastered the art of playing the piano. The person who just bangs on the keys at his own uh, whims. It's not even a question. One knows how to play the piano, the other doesn't. One is free to play the piano, the other doesn't. The obedience of faith that St. Paul talks about, that Joseph illustrates, it brings us this freedom, but it's only possible if we're willing to trust in God. Christmas is this great feast day where we recognize that God is faithful to his promises that he's absolutely worthy of our trust, that he cares for us so much that he would send his only begotten son to become like us in all things but sin, to save us from sin. And so the proper response to this great holy day of Christmas coming up, the proper gift that we can give in return for the great gift of his only begotten son is to strive to live by this obedience of faith. Let's strive to imitate Joseph, Joseph to trust in the Lord and do what he commands.